morning, everybody. My name is James McDonald, and I am privileged occasionally to have the pastor of this church. I'm privileged occasionally to have the pastor of this church kind of look at the bullpen and go like this. That means the left-hander's coming in, and today's a day like that. We have been uh, blessed. This, I want to check later who's in my seat back over here. But uh, I've been getting blessed every week and fed as you have from Pastor Ryan's series on the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, you might want to get hold of that and head over to Exodus 20. Uh, while we're getting started, I've been assigned a number eight of the Ten Commandments. If you thought that the top ten thing was an ESPN thing, you thought wrong. God had it going first. And uh, these are God's, he's like, why don't we make a top ten? And they did, and it's been pretty awesome. So... Um, we're going to go through number eight today. Before I get started, um, does anybody here have a, just bad planning on my part, but does anybody here have a hundred dollar bill by chance? Hands up if you, <laughs> hands up if you have a hundred dollar bill on you. Anyone? You've got one? Anyone else got one? Just one? I'd sure appreciate it if I could get that from you. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, thank you so much. And just here too, if I could, is that okay? <laughs> I never said once that I only needed one. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you'll never see that again in this life. And, and uh, but uh, you were feeling a little convicted about the offering anyway, weren't you? So, so um, let me just tuck these away here with, I actually talked to several of the staff today, uh, Beth Levino, I have $100 of hers here and, um, People are like, why don't they ever do anything with uh, Fountain Hills? I have $100 from Kyle as well. And uh, what about South Mountain? I have $100 from Jesse too. And uh, it's actually remarkably easy to say to someone, um, can I have $100? Easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> now to the word of God. So um, Exodus chapter... Uh, 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments, and uh, we'll put the screen, uh, we'll put the uh, scriptures up on the screen here as we need to. He starts off with some fairly lengthy ones, you know, that we've already been through. No other gods before me, and the reason, verse 3, no carved images, and a whole nother verse or two, a whole paragraph, really. Not taking the Lord's name in vain is number three. We got couple sentences on that. The Sabbath day, keep it holy. A whole paragraph on that. Honor your father and mother with an explanation and a reason why. Number six is shorter. Number seven, um, shorter. Number eight, really, really short. I wonder if Pastor Ryan thinks maybe I'm just getting a little older. Four words is a lot for me. <laughs> you know, maybe that's all I can handle at this point. And I'll do my best. Here it is. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Let's go have lunch. <laughs> no, you know that's not going to happen. So... I wanna give a little bit of a theology. I'm gonna call it a theology of commandment. I wanna talk for a minute about why does God relate to us in commands? 
It's got a lot of commands. Anyone notice that? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a lot of these. I mean, this is the top 10, but there's a, there's a lot of these. Why does God relate to us in commands? First of all, let me just point out to you that God relating to us in commands is very common. Uh, 496 times the verb command is used in the Old Testament. It means to order or to appoint or to direct or to charge. Do this, do not do this, commands. 54 times in the book of Genesis, 34 times in Exodus. The noun commandment, a commandment, is used 184 times just in the Old Testament. There's another uh, form that means to limit or to obligate 131 times um, a lot of numbers to say. This is very common. God relates to us, his people, in, by means of commands. A few years ago, a pastor from the East Coast who was a, a dear friend of mine preached a sermon that someone sent to me where he said, um, interestingly, in the, he actually said this, he said, in the Old Testament, there is no Hebrew word for command. So I called him on the phone. I said, dude, how, how come you said there's no Hebrew word for command? He said, well, I said, well, hang on. There's not one word in that sentence that's truthful. Okay, that's just wrong. He said, well, he says, I was talking to a cab driver in Israel. Okay, that probably isn't the best source for <laughs> truth necessarily. But he said, well, yeah, the guy told me there's no, look, at, I know what he was going for. We're such an anti-authority culture that we like the idea that it just doesn't seem so relatable that God's like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And, and it's, so, it's so common. Well, I think uh, Pastor Ryan has mentioned this phrase. These two phrases have been very significant in my preaching ministry now for many years. Uh, the first one is this. Um, so God's commands are common. Note, note this, they're, they're protection. If you don't understand that God's commands are protection, then you don't understand how he's trying to relate to you. Make a note of these two things if you like to jot things down. First of all, when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. All right, he's protecting you. He's protecting you. He's protecting you. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. Or if you like it a little more boiled down in the negative, here's the same thing stated negatively. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Period, end of story. Did you see the uh, jury brought its verdict against this guy, Murdaugh? So interesting that murders in his name. He's now the poster boy for the previous commandment. I mean, here he is weeping in court, broken down. He was a very, very, very powerful man. And he said to himself, I'm gonna commit murder. I'm gonna murder two members of my own family and it's gonna work out for me. Uh, incorrect, incorrect. And that's not to say that some people don't get away for, from some things for a time, but ultimately in the end, God is uh, God, God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're gonna reap. Um, God help us to stop seeing commandments as some imposition on a misplaced notion of happiness. God loves us and God's commands, man, they're better than stop signs. I hate stop signs. <laughs> but I do stop. 
And over time, you start, when I was in my teens, I saw God's commands as a total imposition. And as I have grown and matured by his grace through the years, you start to see them for the loving provision that they actually are. Try to hang on to this, loved ones. Every time God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. And choose to sin, choose to suffer. So we're just working on a little theology of commandment here before we get to the specific one. You with me? Here's a third thing about God's commands. If this is how he relates to us, then his people should be articulate in these matters. Make at least a mental note of it. God's commandments are common. They're protection. Here's the third thing. God's uh, commandments are life. And uh, it's a long time ago now. Our three children are all in there. Uh, mid-30s, but our daughter, when she was half of her lifetime ago, she, she, she's so beautiful and wonderful now. She loves the Lord and us so much. She's working on her mother's, can't tell you the number, birthday party right now. <laughs> and, and she's so wonderful, but there was, I never forget, this is a, a book that I wrote called Ten Choices uh, all of the books that I've written, by the way, are available at our website for free for the cost of mailing them to you. I've just got so done with Christian enterprise and marketing. I, it's in my rearview mirror. But this was a, a book that I was blessed to write. And when we dropped our daughter off at college, she was not with the Lord in that sense. And I remember as clear as a bell, not knowing what the future would hold, how faithful God has been. Well, here's a picture of her and me. And uh, I think I'm standing in front of it. <laughs> you can see me good, but not her, right? That's her, my beautiful, our beautiful daughter. Kathy's right here in the front with me. And, and, uh, and uh, this is the baby girl that she just had uh, born into our family here a couple of months ago. Have you got that? Have you got that? Oh, there she is. Yeah, God is awesome. But back to a time when I really didn't know where this was going. And some of you hear that way today with your kids. I get it. I really get it. I, I wrote in the front of the book, it's actually the dedication to Abby, just to her. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Let me read that verse to you. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Can we put that up? Here it is. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. So I said to my daughter, dropping her off at college. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Choose life that you and your offspring may. You see that picture of her little baby? What do you have if you don't have God's commands? God's commands are life to us. They are the way to the greatest experience of human happiness there is. And to turn off the path is to experience otherwise. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice. And verse 20 says, holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days. We forget about that. There is health. Whatever God's provision for your number of days is, 
There is lengthening of days in following the commands and there is abbreviating of life by choosing to live under the consequences of rejecting his ways. That you may dwell in the land that, this is of course this is the historical context, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Those are our spiritual fathers, amen. And God has promised you will dwell in the land, you will experience God's faithfulness if you obey his commands. So, everyone say so. So God's command is, God's commands are common, they're protection, they're life. Um, praise God for his faithfulness to his commands. Number four, they are unchanging. They are unchanging. They are unchanging. The Bible doesn't need to be updated. The Bible doesn't need to be improved. I promise you, they're never up in heaven going, we should have wrote something about that. Let's admit it. <laughs> we read the newspaper, we're so familiar with what's happening and so unfamiliar with God's word that we question God's word as though somehow it needs an update. It doesn't need an update, bro. God's word is perfect and entire. It speaks persuasively about the matters that it chooses to speak on and all other matters of importance can be inferred from it. It's exceedingly clear. It's, it's not failing for lack of accuracy. It's failing for lack of attention. It's not failing for lack of relevancy. It's failing for lack of proclamation. The God of the universe relates to us in commands. They're common, they're protection, they're life, and they are unchanging. The grass, Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 55, 10, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will accomplish the purposes for which I send it forth and it will not return to me empty, says the Lord God. Okay? Jesus Christ said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Psalm two says, why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations imagine a vain thing? He who sits in the heavens laughs. They're laughing in heaven at all our silliness and nonsense in this day parading as wisdom. It's unchanging. It's unchanging. And then this, it's binding. These are not suggestions, y'all. These are not, you might want to take this into consideration. These are commands from the creator of the universe, the one about whom the Bible says he spoke and the worlds were formed. How'd he do that? He spoke and the worlds were formed. Who could do that? Listen, stop being frustrated that your little pea brain can't figure out the God of the universe, all right? We're not much, y'all. We're not much, y'all. We, we're made in his image, but, but we're not much. Turn to your neighbor, no, no, don't turn to your neighbor and say that. No. <laughs> These commands are binding. This is a picture of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer uh, is one of my faith heroes. He, um, the year I was born, 
he was almost to his 30th year pastoring Southside Alliance Church in Chicago. Uh, like me, he had a difficult ending from a 30-year fruitful ministry preaching God's word in that city that is often referred to as the graveyard of pastors. Tozer, though, was considered a mystic, and I look up to him, I have so much respect for him. His writings have helped me so much. If you've never read The Pursuit of God, if you've never read Knowledge of the Holy, oh my goodness, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man of faith and a man of God's word. But he was known to stay to himself, and he was known to hide in his study, and his wife languished. In fact, after Tozer died, his wife remarried and said of her second husband, Tozer loved God. And then she said, my second husband loves me. And Tozer suffered in his children and his legacy. He suffered the consequences of a love for God that did not include a love for others, at least not in terms of attention to his own family. And we can go the other way in our day and we can idolize our family and make them into something they're not supposed to be. I, I get that, I really do. But interesting, a man that I respect so much who had given so much of his life to God's word was not able to escape the consequences of neglecting part of it. The Bible's not playing any favorite games, y'all. All right? It is binding. It is binding upon all of us. God knows what he said, even if I don't know what he said. He knows what he said. Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We would say plant. Whatever a man plants, that shall he also harvest. You harvest what you plant. If you plant weeds, you don't harvest oranges. You know that, right? If, if you plant thorns and Cactuses, which I have a growing appreciation for. You, you don't get tomatoes. You reap what you sow. Now, with that as kind of a backdrop, that's the sermon warm-up. Somebody say, let's go. <laughs> that's God's command understood. Now, let's move to God's command stated. I read it to you already from Exodus 20. You shall not steal. Interesting, there's a little more we can get by breaking it down there. You shall not steal. How's that for clarity, right? Which part of that don't you understand? Want me to take it a word at a time? I think he only gave me four words because he thought that that was all I could handle mentally. And now you're wondering to yourself, does he know that he already said that? <laughs> See how I play with you? Now, you shall, so you, who is this for? Who's this for? Somebody tell me. See, the tendency is to be a Bible thumper, and a Bible thumper is a person who uh, weaponizes God's word. If you're already sitting there saying to yourself, man, I wish Bill was here to hear this. Man, nothing worse than that guy who's always saying, where's the hundred bucks? you borrowed, or when are you gonna give me back the 100 bucks that I lent you? Man, quit being so cheap. <laughs> that guy. This is the purpose of God's word. It's to see myself. 
Uh, the book of James says that I'm, I'm foolish if when I pick up the word of God and I see what manner of man I am, what manner of woman I am, and I don't make any changes or adjustments, and I just go right back to that person, that's foolishness. You might as well have slept in, y'all, but you're not going to do that, and we are persuaded of better things concerning you. And so we're going to take, when the Bible says, you shall not murder, we're not thinking about our sister. We're not thinking about somebody far away. We're thinking, point to who you're thinking about. Come on. Point to who this is for. Do it. Point to me. It's for me. It's for me. I don't steal anything. Well, we're not done yet. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for me. You shall, shall. Is that a past or a present or a future? Well, the, the, the command applies to the past, but I can't do anything about the past. The present is right now, it's here, it's happening, but shall is really a future looking word. So many plant bad things and then they pray for a crop failure. That's not coming. There's nothing you can do, make a note of this, there's nothing you can do about last year's harvest, but there's something you can do about this year's. All right? And if you did something back then, that those consequences are coming, nothing's gonna change that because God's promises are common and protection and life and unchanging and they're binding. But you can do something about the future. You shall. We're looking forward here today. All in favor of getting into the future? Going forward. You shall. And then not steal. So you got the who, you. You got the when, future, you got the what, steal, don't do it. He's like, where's the why? I need a reason why. God doesn't, I think pastor already preached through, um, honor your father and mother, that it may be long in the land and the Lord your God is giving you, did you see that? He went over this, right? Ephesians chapter six references this and says, children obey your parents, In the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise. So number five is to honor your father and mother. And God's like, number one, do it. Number two, do it. Number three, do it. Number four, do it. Number five, you'll get blessed. Number six, do it. We're at number eight. I'm God, you're not. Not a lot of reasons. In fact, when he gets done with the 10 commandments, he puts on this whole light show. Verse 18. So he gets through the top 10, verse 18. Now when the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were what? They were afraid, it says. And they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us, we'll listen. Don't let God speak to us lest we die. What was God doing? What was he doing? He was scaring them. He was scaring them. That's not right. That's not right. Um, I don't think there was a committee on this. (laughs) The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I pray to God that you have a foundation of fear underneath your faith. At the foundation, it's he's God, I'm not, and I need to get on the program or there's gonna be a problem, a big one that I can't fix. 
Now, 1 John goes on to say that perfect love casts out fear. And I don't live every moment in a fear relationship with God, but I'm thankful that on some of my darker days, I had that foundation of fear to be reduced to. And why are you still this? Why are you still doing that? Because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. And that's not bad. And you say, that's not my Jesus. That's not my Jesus. We have coffee every morning. I'm thrilled that you have a love relationship with Jesus. I think that's so awesome. But you need to have a foundation of fear and an understanding that these things are as serious as serious gets. Note this, at the root of stealing is a rejection of God and his provision. And that is something that the Lord will not take lightly, ever. Look, have you got a Bible verse for that? I do, actually. I do, and I want to show it to you. So if you have a Bible that you're looking through, um, you might just take it now and turn over to Joshua. Moses got the children of Israel to the promised land. He died without entering in. Then Joshua took over. One of the great first stories in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, is the story of the fall of Jericho. And Jericho was a big city, walled around many, many tens of thousands of inhabitants. And God, do you remember how they did this? They'd walk around the city every day singing, I love you, Lord. And then at the end of it, they had to blow their trumpets and all the walls fell down. How confident were they after that? Uh, The answer is they were too confident. And so here comes Joshua chapter seven, verse one. But the people of the Lord broke faith in regard to the devoted things. The devoted things were the things that God had devoted to destruction. Don't take their gold, don't take their silver, don't enrich yourself, burn it all. That city is filth and and burn it all. And God gave them a miraculous victory, but this one dude named Achan, I don't think I'm gonna burn it all. I'm gonna save some of it for myself. How's that gonna go? Tell me how's that gonna go? That's not gonna go good. And that's why these stories are in the Bible. So the next time you're standing in the precipice and you're thinking, I'm gonna think I'm gonna murder my son and my wife, like this guy in the news this week, did not have a foundation of fear. Did not have apparently any sense at all of what he was heaping upon himself and his family for generations. So this Aiken dude was kind of similar. And he says, I'm gonna keep some of it. End of verse one, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Um, why don't we steal? Because God hates stealing. That's right there. It says the anger of the Lord burned against him. Look at verse two and make a note of this because stealing is self-confident, not God-confident. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said, don't have all the people go up there. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack AI. Don't make the whole people toil up there. There are just a few of them. Like, I don't know if you've been reading the newspaper, but we blow trumpets and cities fall. Right? <laughs> that was God. God did that. Stupid trumpet player. <laughs> Come on, everyone say God did it. 
but they started thinking they did it. And it's like, ah, oh, we don't need to send the whole army up there. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna play pickleball today. <laughs> A great game that had to have been invented at least that long ago. <laughs> and so because they were overconfident, see, why does God hate Achan's stealing? Because it shows he's so self-confident. He thinks he can just do it and it'll be fine. Because stealing is self-confident, not God-confident. Note this, verse nine, because stealing is a rejection of God. You can read a little more on your own. But um, they go up, they get beat, no surprise, by this little group of people. And verse nine says, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and will cut off our name from the earth. What will, and so they go to God and they're like, we got beat. We, we, we had this awesome victory, then we got super self-confident, and some of us stole some of the things that we were not supposed to steal. Now we've had this massive defeat, and they go to God and they're like, come on, God, what about your name? Not good. They did understand that their defeat brought shame on God's name. What they didn't understand was that their stealing was the cause so then what happens is, to make a huge point of this, this is why you have an Old Testament, because every so often something would happen and God was like, we're gonna make a huge deal of this. So that everyone, so then when we get to Generation Church in 2023, we can tell this story, and everybody are like, oh my gosh, that's serious. So here's Achan and he's got the things that were supposed to be destroyed buried under his tent and instead of just singling them out, God says, all right, well, you all are divided up into tribes, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. So have a tribe pass in front of Joshua and I'll tell you which tribe it is. And so here's Achan in a crowd. There was about 2 million people. So this didn't happen in 10 minutes. And the tribes go by one at a time. You can read it in the text. And they choose, no surprise, ding, 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 prize winner today, Achan's tribe. All right, have Achan's tribe pass by again, and we're gonna pick the family where the stuff is buried, where what got stolen is hidden. And then the family, can you imagine Achan? He's in this crowd, and he's like. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's passing by, and he thinks, I think I'm gonna make it. All of a sudden, he's right in front of Joshua, and he's like, stop! What are the odds of this? <laughs> All right, back it up. Now, every family in this clan, tribes, clans, families. Now, how many in the family? I don't, I don't know how many was in his family, but let's say there was like 11 or something. So now he's like, what are my chances of getting out of this now? And he gets right in it. He's like, stop! And notice what it says in the scriptures, verse, the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why have you fallen on your face, Israel? By the way, that's one of the times when God says stop praying in the Bible. He's like, what are we gonna do for your name? The Lord's like, get up, stop praying, we're gonna, we're gonna deal with this. Israel has transgressed, they have kept the devoted things. Verse 12, therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Make a note of that. When I have God's stuff at my house, it's not going anywhere good. 
Can't stand in front of my enemies. Why am I so weak? Well, what's at your house that doesn't belong to you? That'd be a great place to start. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, things that were supposed to be destroyed. In the morning you bring near, come near by your tribes, by your clans, by your households. And finally it gets down to man by man. He who is taken shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done an outrageous thing. Like, I don't really like this message very much. When can we get to Jesus in my coffee time? All right. Like, I don't think that's in the New Testament. Well, I don't know what you're doing in your coffee time, but you should have read Acts 5. So let's turn over there. Acts chapter 5. He's like, oh, this is good. We're going to the book of Acts. Man, I always, why can't we get back to the book of Acts, you know? Why can't we have a church like the book of Acts? Where, you mean like where people get killed for lying about their tithing? Is that what you're calling down on us? Acts 5.1, y'all. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me say here that you're gonna see all five of the same things. God hates stealing. Stealing is self-confidence, not God-confidence. Stealing is a rejection of God. Stealing is a rejection of God's provision. Stealing ultimately forfeits God's protection. Slightly different order. Here it comes again. Why did, it was your property. He kept back some for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. It's very personal to God. This, by the way, lying by itself is not even in the top 10. Bearing false witness against your neighbor is. But lying itself didn't even make the top 10. It's the stealing that the lying is trying to cover. So anyway, you've lied to God. Verse 5, Acts 5, 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. How many people have never been to a church service where that happened? Love that book of Acts. Serious business. We're in the New Testament now, y'all. Notice, why'd you do this, God? And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. <laughs> Talk about running straight into the chipper. <laughs> and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said, how's it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out. I bet it was super quiet. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear 
came upon the whole church. This is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. That God's people would fear the consequences of not taking seriously God's commands. It's not wrong. In fact, do you remember the first time you stole something? Now, I know some of you have to be like, I've never stole anything. Hang on, I'm going to get to you in a sec. <laughs> first time I ever stole something, I was four years old. I was playing down the street at the neighbors and a dear family friends to this day still. Someone say, that's a long time ago. Right. These were dear friends. And the father was an engineer. And we used to play marbles all the time. Anybody play marbles when you were a kid? And we used to play keepsies, of course. And so you get more marbles if you win, less marbles if you lose. But if you had those bigger marbles that we called crocs, you were like dominant. I understood all of this at the age of four. And he had these steel ball bearings in his basement. I was like, I for sure have to have one of those. And I waited till my, I was four years old. I waited till my friend wasn't looking and took that thing, put it right in my pocket. I'm gonna go home. Got out, started walking down the street, up the hill to my house. By the time I got to the door, my mom came out and I just broke into tears. I, I, I took this. You have to do the wrong thing for a long time to get calloused about it. And if you have something that isn't yours, it should be causing you grief even to think about it. You should be saying, that's just not right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, come on. I shouldn't have something that isn't mine. Not even kidding around. Either God's providing for me or I'm providing for myself. It's one of those two, all right? And if I have to have what isn't mine to take care of business, I, I'm confused about what matters. I'm confused about where the real value is. I'm confused about who the provider is. I'm confused about self-confidence and God-confidence. A lot of things go south on these four words. You shall not steal. Now, just to help with that a little bit, ways we steal we might not see. Okay? Ways we steal we might not see. Here's the first one. We steal God's glory. Now, glory, you're like, glory, yeah, I mean, that's like getting trophies and stuff. No, that's what silly human beings like us think glory is, all right? It's the little hint of a fragrance of glory that we get when we win a little silly something. Glory is actually, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And God says in this passage that I just mentioned, Isaiah 42, I am the Lord God, I will not share my glory with another. Glory is evidence of God. Glory is God's fingerprint wherever you see it. 
And if you've seen a child born and you heard your mouth say, glory to God, right, because only God could do that. And if you've ever looked at a mountainscape or, a, or, or the universe itself on a starlit night by an ocean and you felt to yourself, I'm so small, but not upset to be small, gloriously reduced to my true dimension before the God of the universe who made me. You understand a little bit about glory, glory. As heat is to fire, as wet is to water, as light is to bulb, glory is to God. It's what emanates from God. The Bible says that God is ineffable glory, cannot be erased. And we don't want any of that. I can tell you at this stage of my life, there's nothing that I want less than to be up in front of a group of people. I didn't always feel that way. But anytime we're in a position to get any kind of attention for ourselves, we should be like, I don't want that. I don't want that. And anytime we take credit or attention that belongs only to God, we're stealing. We're stealing. Why didn't I get thanked? Why didn't I get appreciated? Why didn't I get told how great I am? Hurtful, sure. But kind of stealing, right? Or this, we steal God's money. We steal God's money, Malachi chapter three. Let me just buzz through this really quick. I was here a couple of weeks ago where Pastor Ryan preached really long, so... I'm going to finish before he did, and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> come on, come on. Love you. Love him, right? Love our pastor. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, here we go. So in Malachi chapter 3, it says this incredible passage. It says, um, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. In other words, I put a rainbow in the sky. I said I wouldn't do it again, and I don't change. Otherwise, you'd be wiped out like now, is what he's saying. But I don't change, and I said I wouldn't, so I won't. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. What? What? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We're like, how shall we return to you? What are you talking about? We didn't go nowhere, is what it says in the text. How shall we return? Boy, the Lord goes right to it. Well, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Like, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. You shall not steal. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. This is one of the most crazy passages in all the Bible. Put me to the test. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Luke 4 says, don't put God to the test. You're like, that's the problem with the Bible, man. Make up your mind. Test him or don't test him. This will help. Don't put God to the test unless he says put him to the test. Then put him to the test. True or false? One time in the whole Bible. Mostly he's like, don't test me. But one time, he's like, test me in this. And bring the tithes in, bring the first portion of my income. 10% belongs to God. 10% belongs to God. You're not even at offerings yet. 
You don't get to come to the awesome giver banquet in heaven just because you gave 10%. That's just checking the box, y'all. Look, well, tithing isn't in the New Testament. Can I just solve this for you forever? Okay. Everything is not as simple as Old Testament and New Testament, okay? There are some things, like a day of rest every week, that goes back to the Garden of Eden, okay? Tithing was not instituted as part of the law. Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek 500 years before Exodus 20. Tithing is a universal principle, like a day of rest. It was neither instituted by the law nor was it abrogated by Jesus Christ, okay? So 10% off the top belongs to God. That's what I believe, off the top. Off the top. We're gonna take all my deductions first. Bad plan. Because the next move is God giving. If you know that the next move is God giving, why do you? So anyway, he says, test me now in this. And the idea of testing is like, it's like this idea of, have you ever heard that phrase, throwing down the gauntlet? Everybody ever heard that? The gauntlet was actually a glove that a, middle age kind of soldier or knight would wear. And he's like, God is like, and, and when a warrior wanted to do battle with you, he would like throw down the glove in front of you. And that, that meant we're, it's go time. And God is throwing down the gauntlet in Malachi 3. And he's saying, in effect, he's saying, you don't think I'm God? You don't think I know what you make? You don't think I can bless you? You don't think I can feed you? You don't think I can fill you? You think you can do better on your own? Test me. Let's get it on right now. Test me in this. And I am so sad for anyone who happens to be here today who's never put God to the test. I challenge you, take a month or three months, put God to the test. Don't matter what it takes, don't matter what it costs, give God 10% off the top. I promise you at the end, you will not want it back. My wife and I have been doing that for coming up on 40 years. And I've never regretted it one time. Make a note of this, 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. It's more, everyone say it's more. It's more, it's just more y'all. 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. And if you're keeping the tithe, God's money at your house, that's what you are, you're on your own. Like, why is everything so hard for us? I'm telling you why right now. Why have we always struggled when other people don't struggle? I'm telling you why. All right? If you don't know this, try it. Failing to do so is stealing. We also steal from our employers. We don't give a full day's work for a full day's pay. Ephesians chapter four says, let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good. We steal from a business, they're due. Are you that deal guy? Always looking for a deal? Well, they still want, they want $99 for it, I'm gonna get it for 64. Really, really, is that awesome? Is that, you think that's awesome, right? Oh yeah, I got a deal, did you? Did you get a deal? You might not have got such a good deal. God is watching all of these things. What the Bible says is that a workman is worthy of his hire, that everyone is to be paid their fair due. Don't try to get somebody to do more for less. That's not winning, that's stealing. And stealing is losing. You think you're winning, but you're not winning. You're the same as the guy with the stuff buried under his tent. You're the same as the people who think they can tell the apostles they gave more than they really gave and get ahead. You're not getting ahead. 
It's not getting it's not stealing. We steal people's reputations. We run our mouths and say things we can't know or verify. As many of you know, that's very personal to me, and I'm just going to go to the next one. There's a scripture there that supports that view. We steal our loved one's peace. We bring drama into the home, and we steal from those around us the right to be at peace. That's convicting. Owe no one anything, Romans 12, 18, except to love. So, bow with me in prayer, please. What to do, what to do. No moving around, no one's leaving. We bow because now the conversation is super personal. What to do about my stealing? Well, the first thing is to repent. That just means to change your mind. I thought what I was doing was the right thing. Now I'm not so sure anymore. Just say it right where you are. Say it to God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. It's wrong. I can't do anything about last year, but I'm going to do something about this year. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to pay fair. I'm going to work for a day's wage. I'm going to give to my family what they're due. And then the last thing is restitution. Where I can, I'm going to make it right. If I've taken something that isn't mine, I'm going to give it back. If I've said something about someone that isn't true, I'm going to make it right. If I've stolen a reputation, if I've stolen the expectation of peace, if I've stolen what belongs to God, I don't want to be a thief. I don't want to be overconfident. I want to live in the joy of these commands. And it is true, God, when you say don't, don't, you mean don't hurt yourself, and I've hurt myself, and I've hurt those that I love. Please forgive me. And if you've never turned from your sins to embrace Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness, that's the first step. You can do that right now. Invite the Lord to reign over your life as he reigns over this world. Amen.